Support for this podcast and the following message come from Wise, the app that makes managing your money in different currencies easy. With Wise, you can send and spend money internationally at the mid-market exchange rate. No guesswork and no hidden fees. Learn more about how Wise could work for you at wise.com. This is State of Ukraine. I'm Steve Inskeep with NPR's best reporting on a war that's changing the world. How do you negotiate with someone you don't trust? I mean, you do not trust them at all. This is the problem facing Ukraine this week. Ukrainian negotiators have put forward proposals they say could lead toward a ceasefire. Russia has given those proposals a mixed reception. And a former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine sees a problem. The ambassador is William Taylor. The leader of Russia, President Putin, is not a credible interlocutor. I mean, there is no reason to be talking to him. He has lied to President Biden. He has lied to his people. He's lied to his military. So there's no merit. There's no benefit to having that conversation. Okay, William Taylor is a name that you know if you were a connoisseur of presidential impeachments. He served during the Trump administration and became a prominent witness to then-President Donald Trump's effort to enlist Ukraine's president in digging up campaign dirt back in 2019. But William Taylor's expertise is as a diplomat, and he has remained closely engaged with Ukrainian officials. The Ukrainians met for one day this week with Russian negotiators, and Ambassador Taylor talked about it with A. Martinez. The Ukrainians are serious. They've given a lot of thought to this, as you would expect. Uh, They've been in close touch with their president, President Zelensky. Uh, So they are linked up with the political. In fact, is part one of the main negotiators is the is the top person uh, in President Zelensky's uh, political party in the Rada. So he's tuned into the politics, which are going to be important. And the other is the Minister of Defense, and uh, the Minister of Defense obviously knows the issues on the on the ground with the military. So they're a serious, a serious ne- uh, delegation, and they've given thought. They've even put together some proposals, some ideas, uh, which uh, um, are very interesting to uh, in, in what it says about where the Ukrainians are. So they're serious. It's not clear eh, where the Russians are. Uh, their the, their delegation is headed up by a former Minister of Culture. Um, and as you've been reporting, there seems to be a real disconnect or confusion or uncertainty or mixed messages coming out of Moscow about about both the military side and the negotiating side. Right. So, I was going to I was going to ask you about that because you said Ukrainian negotiators are in close communication with their president Zelensky. It's unclear, uh, as some as some have reported, that uh, Russian negotiators might not be as close in communication with their president. You're exactly right. Exactly right. It's not clear anyone is in close communication or understands exactly what President Putin is after. As we know, uh, hey, we remember when uh, when this whole thing began, that is uh, on like the 23rd of February, there were a lot of people in the Russian government who did not know, or at least they were saying, that there was going to be no invasion. So the, the President Putin kept it very close. He kept in a very small number of people around him. And I imagine that's still happening with regard to these negotiations. So it's, it's just not clear from the Russian side. Former Ambassador to Ukraine, William Taylor, thank you very much. Thanks, A. We should note that even as Russia said it's backing off its pressure on a couple of Ukrainian cities, including Kiev, shellfire on those cities continues. Ukraine's Western neighbors are considering how much more pressure they can put on Russia. Germany has imposed sanctions, of course, but it also relies on Russia for about half its natural gas. German companies do a lot of business with both Russia and Ukraine. So how do they manage the pain 
NPR's Rob Schmitz reports. At an iron foundry outside Dusseldorf, a crane holding a 30-ton bucket gently tips it on its side, releasing a torrent of bright yellow molten iron. Waves of heat rise from the bubbling, splattering liquid as it shoots out sparks of magnesium over workers dressed head-to-toe in silver heat-shielded uniforms. Below them, the glowing magma fills a mold for what will become an iron tile press machine, says Georg Geier, managing director of Zimpelkamp, the company that runs this foundry. It's like uh, 1,300 degrees Celsius. That's what makes our business so energy intensive. It takes 50 gigawatts of electricity per year to keep Simplecamp's induction furnaces running, equivalent to the electricity needed to power a town of 20,000 people. Mid-sized companies like Simplecamp, known as Mittelstand companies in German, make up the backbone of Germany's economy, employing 60% of the country's workers. And they're highly susceptible to the skyrocketing price of energy caused by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. For years, the price Simplecamp paid for one megawatt hour was around 40 euros. Beginning of last week, it was nearly 300 euros. So that means nearly 10 times of what we saw for, for years and years before. Russia's war in Ukraine and Europe's retaliatory sanctions have highlighted Germany's reliance on Russia. Germany is very dependent on Russian energy. Claudia Kempfert is an energy economist at the German Institute of Economic Research. It's not only gas, over 50% of our natural gas we are importing from Russia, but also coal, uh, 50% of coal and um, oil is uh, 36%. She says finding alternatives for Russian coal and oil should be relatively straightforward for Germany, but the problem is Russian gas. Germany receives it via pipelines, and the alternative to that, importing liquefied natural gas or LNG from other countries like the U.S. and Qatar, is tricky because Germany does not have any LNG terminals and it'll take years to build them. The German government has scrambled to sign LNG contracts with Qatar, and Kempfert says that gas will likely flow to Germany from terminals in other parts of Europe, but it probably won't be enough to replace Russian gas. So the German government already spent 100 billion for military areas. But uh, right now, I mean, we need also money for the energy transformation in order to become less dependent on fossil fuels. And that could take years. The dependency is so big, it will need time. It's nothing we can do over or within seconds or within weeks. And in the meantime, German CEOs like Michael Visser are doing what they can to deal with the new reality. Visser heads the company Visog, which supplies airports with security, cleaning, and catering crews. While many German companies continue to do business with Russia, Visser went in the opposite direction, announcing that Visog would cut its business ties, giving up millions of dollars per year. We all in the management thought that we cannot support a regime that is acting like the regime is acting at the moment in the Ukraine. Visog depends on Russia for less than 2% of its revenue. Visser says he understands why other German Mittelstand companies with more exposure to Moscow cannot afford to make a decision like this. Companies like Zimpelkamp, which, like much of Germany, relies on Russian energy and Russian raw materials like pig iron to make parts for companies like Tesla, Rolls-Royce, and Caterpillar. The price of all of this is now skyrocketing. And if Zimpelkamp now pays 10 times more than it used to for electricity, that likely means Tesla is paying them 10 times more too. And that is eventually passed on to consumers, says managing director Georg Geier. That will have direct and severe consequences 
on value chains, on supply chains all over the world. And of course it will have huge impact on the wealth we have here in Europe. So this is like playing with fire. It's a metaphor Geyer knows well, and as Russia's war in Ukraine drags on into another month, he hopes his company can continue to afford keeping its fires burning. Rob Schmitz, NPR News, Krefeld, Germany. And now let's hear the sound of an escape from Ukraine. A woman named Vita was living in Kharkiv. That's a Russian city that's been under attack since the very early days of this war. Many civilians fled Kharkiv, but Vita remained, feeling that she needed to take care of an aunt. Finally, Vita's daughter called from America with a message. I want you to leave because I want to have a mother. I said, I am sorry to put it this way, but this is me or the aunt. Sophia Brettel is the daughter. She lives in New York City. And after many days of trying, she finally, finally persuaded her mother to leave. Sophia described her mother's journey for Radio Diaries. My mom left with her friend. They took a bus. No one knew where the bus was taking them. And I saw a message from my mom. She said, I don't know where our last destination is. It could be in Romania. Kisses. She doesn't speak English, never been abroad, and she's really, really scared. So I had to make peace with the fact that maybe I won't hear from her for two or three days. I'll wait for her to contact me. So I'm waiting <laughs> right now. I finally talked to my mom. She said, hi, honey, I'm in the bus right now. And I asked her if she's fine and safe. She says, yes, everything okay. Are you fine? Are you safe? She said, yes. She said the bus was very long and difficult. She doesn't quite understand where she is. But she's out. She's safe, and for the first time, I actually heard her not nervous. And she said, please call our neighbor to find out how the aunt is. As for me, like, getting her out is a giant weight out of my heart and out of my shoulders. Like, she left with two little bags, shoulder bags, right? But the main thing that she's alive. I know that there's a lot of guilt and shame because of her aunt. In a textbook of morals, what's right or wrong, it's probably wrong to leave your family members. I do not know if she will ever forgive herself. But this is the decisions that war puts people in front of. Which life to choose? 
Sofia's mom crossed the border into Moldova and has since moved on to Israel, where Sofia has been able to join her. This story was produced by Joe Richman of Radio Diaries, and you can hear more stories on the Radio Diaries podcast. This is State of Ukraine from NPR News. Sean Saldana produced and Kelly Dickens edited. I'm Steve Inskeep. This message comes from NPR sponsor Shopify, the global commerce platform that helps you sell and show up exactly the way you want to. Customize your online store to your style. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Capella University. Capella's programs teach skills relevant to your career so you can apply what you learn right away. See how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu. Bridgerton is back and the Netflix series is as gossipy and over the top as ever. I love the dialogue as ridiculous as it is sometimes. Same. <laughs> so ridiculous. And yet- We're talking about the romance and the clothes and the nudity and obviously the queen's hair. Listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR. NPR.